Hello and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by Funkinsliff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfine, musicologist and author of Everything's on the One, the first guy to funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at Funkinstuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify. As always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend, tell family. Also get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here, Truth and Rhythm shirts, Show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also want to give a shout out to the Funk Exhibition Center and Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official Funk Ambassador. Go to thefunkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now, with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. Hey, for this episode, I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership, hard rockin' and funkin' bassist, singer, composer, Star Colors. She's released three albums, been associated with Parliament, Funkadelic, and Prince, and a few years back was a standout on VH1's Rock Camp show. Her band, the Star Colors Crew, has opened for top acts like the P-Funk All-Stars, Living Color, Bernie Worrell, Maceo Parker, and Bad Brains. Color's latest album is the powerful 10-track set, Living Galaxy. Star, how are you? Welcome to the program. What's happening? What's happening, everybody? Hope everybody is good, safe, doing the best. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Getting through this crazy year like everybody else, and I'm glad to good. see that you seem to be uh, relatively safe and, and sound, and hopefully sane, too. Uh, uh, trying to stay sane <laughs> and definitely staying staying safe and, and you know making a new way <laughs> where, where are you coming to us from today star i'm coming from san diego california so yeah. i am originally from philadelphia uh, born in actually in uh, colorado in uh, fort collins colorado uh, raised in a Philadelphia East Coast child, uh, went to school uh, in uh, Pittsburgh, Duquesne University. Then, um, as my career <laughs> demanded it, I moved further across the country as I am here now, West Coast, San Diego, California. 
How long have you been out there? <clears throat> I think I've been here for about 10 years. 10 years. I went to L.A. first and did a number of years there. And, you know, it all they're all trajectory of the career path from Prince to George to the show on. Yeah. Well, I look forward to getting into more details on that. Um, good stuff. Yeah, I'm from the West Coast myself, so I kind of went opposite of you. You know, I about 10 right. years ago, I moved to the East from the West Coast. So I think we uh, maybe did high fives as we were going by or something. <laughs> did the funk sign, you know. <laughs> That's cool. Now, where are you coming from? Outside Charlotte, North Carolina. It's probably beautiful down there. And... Oh, yeah, I love it. Um, although it's super, super hot right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Star, so glad to have you, as I said. And uh, as you said, from Philly, I had known that. But uh, how did that uh, influence your musical, you know, uh, foundations coming from there? You know, I am, um, being from Philadelphia, of course, you know, there's all these different bass players and whatnot. But since I was a rocker, um, there, there wasn't really much of that rock press. There's a lot of R&B, jazz, you know, Stan Clark and John Pratt stories and Alfonso Johnson and, you know, all these people, Victor Bailey uh, 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 and, and, and uh, Christian McBride, you know, it's just all these jazz people. So, and, and they're all amazing, of course. Uh, Christian is even uh, a friend. But um, I knew as a rocker, that I was just going to have to look beyond that. So my really uh, strongest bass influences is Larry Graham, who is God, <laughs> especially as far as being a singer and bass player. That's what I do, too. And Geddy Lee of Rush. Hmm. Geddy Lee, man, is God. Okay, so those two really... And then, you know, you can throw Sting in there, but, you know, I'll kick Sting's ass, so... He's a great songwriter and singer, but you know, he get off the bass, you know. You know, but I love him because he did play bass in the, in the police um, and lead singing. You know, so there's not many uh, uh, of us who who do that. So as an artist, um, those are the people that you know I really look to outside of Jimi Hendrix and Prince as far as artistry. And why I went to Prince in the first place when I was in college. Um, in my senior year at Duquesne University, I had sent out a number of uh, uh, demo tapes to Prince's newly formed Paisley Park. And um, I kept getting back the standard rejection letter from uh, his company, which I found out, of course, later was Alan Lee's. So um, I, in my craziness, said, you know, I'm going out there. Going, I'm driving out there. I'm gonna push up on Paisley Park. So I drove my senior year Christmas vacation. I went home to Philadelphia. Told my father to give me five hundred dollars. I'm going to Paisley Park in Minnesota to get a deal. He said, "Cool, don't sign anything yet." <clears throat> I drove with my Italian roommate Armand Ignelzi from Pittsburgh to Minnesota in a snowstorm in 88-89. When we got to Paisley Park. After I crashed his house, we had a big, huge purple windmill in the back. And his guards sent me to Paisley Park from his house. He had a big purple windmill 
in the back of his house. Yeah, okay. And um, this was during this time, 88, 89, Miles Davis was there doing all these sessions and things with him. And the new power generation, which was the new, new power generation, they hadn't been form formally named yet. This was Levi Caesar, or Dr. Fink is still there. Sheila E. was temporarily there. Uh, Miko Weaver, Ted uh, Glover was a dancer. This was the band. And they were recording the Love Sexy album. And I was friends with Alan Leeds, I mean, Matt, uh, Eric Leeds and Matt Winston, the horn players, because they went to Duquesne. They went to Pittsburgh, Duquesne. So I said, <laughs> so I became friends with them and started sending them demo tapes, but they could never get it to Prince. And I got sick of it. So I drove out there. So when I pushed up on Paisley Park, I would just drive into the gates when the gates would be open. And I knew Prince's cars. He drove BMWs. He drove it. He had a yellow BMW, had a dark royal purple BMW, and a black one. And sometimes the seat would be open or the car door would be open. So I would leave these notes on his car seat, on his car windshield, in his car. Dear Prince, I drove 17,000 miles to give you my demo tape. Peace and love, star colors. And I'd get thrown out the parking lot and then come back. Finally, Eric Leeds and Matt Winston said, come on, Miles Davis is taking some kind of break. You can come in the Paisley Park. I go rushing in the Paisley Park with a bass on my shoulder and a bag of cassette tapes. This is before cell phones and all this digital crap, people. This is when real music or real, real tapes and stuff. So I just bum rushed in like, okay, I'm going to find him. I'm going to find him. And, of course, I ran right into him after 20 minutes and running around Paisley Park, and his manager, Steve Farnoli from the Purple Rain movie, the Magnoli Farnoli people, they were his managers. So they said, hey, you're uh, that girl, uh, Eric Leeds, friend from uh, Pittsburgh, right? I said, yeah, yeah. They said, oh, well, you can go ahead and talk to him, honey, go ahead. Left us there in the hallway with Prince staring at me like, I'm staring at him like, you're going to take this demo tape. So I'm like, listen, my name is Star Colors. I drove 17,000 miles to give you my demo tape. Here's my tape. And I'm shoving it in his hand. Meanwhile, he's holding my other hand, shaking it, and he wouldn't let it go. So Prince is holding my hand, not letting it go. And I'm shoving a cassette tape in his other hand going, you're going to take this demo tape today. He says, well, there's ways they do things. You have to give it to Alan Leeds. He's head of Paisley Park. I said, oh, really? I said, okay. I ran up the steps, snatched the tape out of his hand, I run it up to the stairs of Paisley Park. He's standing there dumbfounded, like, what happened? How, who is this? How did she get? But he's cracking on me at the same time. Okay, all this at the same time. Go burst into Alan Lee's office and Mr. Lee, Prince said if he don't get this demo tape tonight, he's going to kick somebody's motherfucking ass. He goes, ho, 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 ho. Oh, come on in, honey, sit down. He opens up his top desk drawer. In his top desk drawer is all my demo packages. He says, is this you? I say, yeah, that's me. He says, oh, we didn't know who you were. He'll get it tonight. Next day, I get a call. It <clears throat> says, bring your baits. Come back to Paisley Park. We're going to audition with Prince and them tonight, 1030. I said, all right, cool. Get my baits. Get dressed. I'll call home. To my family, my father screaming about contracts, my mother screaming about makeup, and my sister just screaming, you know. And 
I get off the phone. They're like, bye, family. Gotta go. Go back to Paisley. Now I'm waiting. I'm in Studio A playroom. And all the band is in the other engineering booths. Sheila E., Levi Caesar, Dr. Fink, all the Miko Weaver, all they all over there, right? The tech, they send me in the playroom to get my bass hooked up. So then sitting there waiting for him and I'm nervous now after all this craziness I got a break in the Paisley Park <laughs> now I finally get in now I'm nervous so I'm waiting for him I'm kneeling down holding my face he comes in the door he's a lady he got all the notes that I wrote to him he's reading them dear prince I drove 17,000 miles to give you my demo tape love star colors and he's looking at me he starts walking around me in a circle, going, mm, female, bass player, huh? Ooh, what's this? I'm tough on musicians. Then he looks in the glass at my roommate who drove me and said, is that your boyfriend? Then he starts walking back around me in a circle. Mm, female, bass player, huh? Huh, girl. I never had a girl bass player. Are you sleeping with him? Yeah, you know, I'm really tough on my musicians, and I expect, so I got tired of the psycho drama Gemini crap, so I stood up. Now, of course, I'm taller than him because I'm 5'9", and I have a face, and he's 5'2", and he, you know, big head, makeup. So he backs into the wall goes, and looks up at me with these eyes. I said, look, man, did you listen to the demo tape? Right? I'm tired of the shit. I'm a Sagittarius. I don't have time. So he says, yes, I listen to your tape. I think you have a lot of talent. I think you have a lot of potential. I want to work with you. He takes his guitar, puts on his guitar, looks at me, says it's in B flat, and starts playing. I jump in and start playing. Sheila E comes in. She sits there behind the drum. She starts playing. Dr. Fane comes in. He starts playing. I'm playing with my heroes, and I'm tripping. I'm like 18, 19 years old. I'm not even legal to drink, and I'm like, okay, I, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. So he's tripping. He's like, what? You can play? He's going in and out. He's on his knees. He's diving around. What? You a girl? You can play that? Tripping. And I'm like, oh my God. She was going, just keep playing. Rock with me. Rock with me. Finally, a tech comes in the room and says, Prince, Miles Davis is stuck at the airport. He needs you. Prince throws his guitar in the air. The tech catches it out of nowhere. Prince runs out. Sheila runs out. Fink runs out. I'm standing against the wall like... Right? Sheila comes back in and says, Listen! Prince said, he's really impressed with you. He wants us to keep playing with you. Come on, let's keep playing. I'm like, all right, cool. We keep playing some of my music. I'm too young to realize they're probably recording it, right? <laughs> we finish. So now she goes, come on, let's sit down and talk. So we sitting there talking about being female musicians, and you know, she lets me know that she could never do what I did because she's never had to audition before in her life. Sheila Escovito told me that she's never had to audition before in her life, and she could never, ever do what I did in front of them just now, and how impressed they all are, and how impressed Prince is, and how he's tricky. He's going to call me tomorrow. She gives me her number. I'm like, all right, cool. 
I get a call the next day because I'm staying at a boarding house at the University of Minnesota. Can't afford a hotel. Okay. So I'm staying at the boarding house, University of Minnesota, and I'm sitting on top of the phone. The phone rings. It's Prince. Hello, hi. I just want to thank you and tell you that I'm really impressed with you and I want to work with you. And I'm not trying to tell you what to do. But you can stay here with me while I finish Love Sexy, and then I will go out on the road and come back. And, uh, and I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I, I'm really impressed. I said, no, no, thank you so much. You know, I'm the blah, blah. So I said, you know, I was young, but I, but I knew that I didn't want to be one of his concubines in the wings waiting. You know what I mean? And I already knew what was going on that way, even though I was young. So I told him I would go back to school, finish. When he finished his Love Sexy tour, let's get back together. Well, during that year and a half or two, I got hired by George Clinton in the Parliament Funkadelic and became the only female musician member of the group. And guess what? George Clinton was signed to Prentice Paisley Park label when I joined. So I tell George the story. George goes, oh, no, you Funkadelic, fuck that. We're going back to Paisley Park. Yeah, we're going to see him. I said, George, I don't know if he's going to remember me. He's like, girl, you crazy. He's going to definitely remember you. Come on, let's go. Sure enough, we finished our little P-Funk run, my first European tour. We come back to the States. We go straight to Minneapolis to go do some Paisley Park event. Everybody's tripping that Parliament Funkadelic is in the house. Everybody in Prince's whole thing, it worships the P-Funk. So the P-Funk's walking around like, George walking around like King George, like, yeah, right? Gary Jader, all of us. Everybody's running behind George. George and Prince finally see each other. Hey, hey, man, hey, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Prince looks over George's shoulder. Star, Star Colors, what are you doing here with George and Emma Prince? Everybody in the P phone turns around and looks at me and goes, How do you know Prince? George Clinton. And Gary Scheider are the only ones who go, <laughs> yeah, she on the deli. She on the deli. You can't have her. You can't have her. Come on, come on, baby, come on. And everybody starts following George to pay the party. And then we continue on. And then for the next two years, Prince came out to P Funk shows trying to get me, Michael Hampton, believe it, believe, to come do something with him. George wouldn't let us go. Now, mind you, I could have probably gone and did whatever little project. It wouldn't have been any more than a year. And I would have had another establishment with my mentor. But the old king and the funk mob are like the mob. <laughs> so they weren't having that. You know what I mean? Especially if you had any kind of uh, you know, valuable talent. You know what I mean? They were like, <clears throat> so that's my... Uh, professional beginnings with my mentor superstar and uh, wow that's a right? that's an amazing story star thanks for uh, recounting it so vividly that was awesome um what whatever like gave you the gumption and nerve do you think in your upbringing to you know go do something like that i would say my dad probably be the biggest influence my late uh, father was a science professor, uh, an athlete. He was a, a, a semi-pro tennis 
captain, he was a skier, he skied, snow skied. We were the only black people skiing in the 70s. My father had a ski club called the Gliders Ski Club. And, you know, I had friends of mine who were like, Star, do you realize that your father's like the deepest black man I've ever met? He was like pre-Pope, pre-Barack Obama before. You know what I mean? He was that kind of man, a leader, just, you know, uh, unique. Uh, and since he had this little girl, he instilled in me, well, you can do anything that these guys can do, which is why I do all the stuff I do today. You know, it's all male-oriented, male-dominated, you know. And I would have to say him, for sure. So were you a tomboy? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I used to do tag football, all right, uh, uh, softball, uh, hockey, field hockey, basketball, track, swim. I was a junior lifeguard. Plus, I used to get out in the street and just kick the guy's ass. It's just, <laughs> you know, dodgeball or just kick their ass and, you know. So, yeah, I was, yeah, for sure, for sure. And what do you think inspired you to, to gravitate towards hard rock? That's a good one. Um, hmm. I would have to say again, my father, my uncle, my mother's brother, had a very eclectic sound, you know, uh, music taste. He listened to a lot of rock radio and pop radio. And then my dad had like, Santana albums, he had Jimi Hendrix albums, and uh, Rolling Stone albums, and, you know, in, in between, like, the Miles Davis and the Santana and the Earth, Wind & Fire, and Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye, you know, so I think I got turned on to that stuff from his early stuff, and then when I dove in, you know, when I dove in, I, I would say that that's when Prince also came out in the late 70s, early uh, 80s, and he became my god, right? And between that and then just kind of jumping into, like, Aerosmith and Rush and going back to Cream and, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Led Zeppelin you know, stuff when they were really kicking ass and, 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 uh, uh you know, and the, the Black Sabbath stuff before Ozzy left, um, would lay the, that rock thing for, you know, for me. Yes. Mm -hmm. A lot of yes, you know, and, um, and then, you know, being, being in Philly at the time, I was around, like I said, a lot of musicians, even though none of them were rock musicians, they still were musicians who would listen, some of them. So I got turned on that way. And then I just dove in myself. It was like, well, I'm in here. You know? And if it's me and Jimi Hendrix and Lenny Kravitz and Living Color, well, then that's what it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Fishbone. You know what I mean? Then that's what it is. You were, know? Were, were you aware of the Black Rock Coalition and that whole movement back then, like the mid to late 80s? Not until later, because, you know, I'm still, like, in school, and, you know, come, you know, it wasn't until later, I would say, around the same time that I was being hired by P-Funk, that's when I was really learning about 
the Black Rock Coalition. Mm-hmm. And and wondering um, what's going on. <laughs> How, how familiar were you with, you know, Funkadelic and P-Funk's material before you connected with them? You know, growing up again in, in, in Philadelphia, there was a radio station um, and a, a, a DJ named Georgie Woods and a radio station there, WDAX, FM and, and AM. They played Parliament and Funkadelic with the hits around the clock. On the radio, so that's how I learned from the radio. The song, whatever songs they had at the time, so that was "Tear the Roof Off" and "Knee Deep" and "One Nation." Those ones that were getting played on black radio. Mm-hmm. That's how I learned. But so you probably didn't know that they had such a ferocious rock side at first, right? No. Yeah. No, not at all. I didn't. I didn't discover that until I was in college, and it was like. Wait a minute. Hey, Funkadelic is real too. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How come they didn't push this? How come, you know, so then I dove into them. Of course, when I meet them and learn all the history, and, you know, being in P-Funk was like being in a, a grad school, you know, because there's decades of material, of decades of people, there's difference, you know what I mean? It's a whole educational system. And you got to know the errors and the people and the music and the time and this and that. So I learned all of that when I got into people. And it was literally, I was in grad school getting taught by Boogie Mosong directly, getting taught by Gary Scheider directly. You know what I'm saying? So it was, it was deep. Legends, right? All of them at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What what was your impression of some of those characters like early on, you know, when you first met George, say, and you met, you know, Gary and, and some of these characters that uh, not all of them are with us anymore, unfortunately, but, you know, uh, Bernie Worrell, I don't know if you got to meet him also, but what, what, what struck you about those characters? Well, you know, just the fact that they were able to create not just, you know, good music and, and, you know, not just, you know, groovy, you know, music, but like legendary, epic, funk, classic music and bring some levity, bring some, some, some characters some humor with, you know, so, so the heavy messages are so heavy, you know what I mean? It's more like, a celebration, this is a party, and then if you listen and you dig in, then you hear how deep this is, or you listen to different songs on the albums that aren't the radio cuts and go, oh, <laughs> you know, so when they were in that uh, creative space with those with those people, and I did, I'll tell you what I did get to meet, I will write it down, I have met and spent time with Bernie Worrell, Billy Bass Nelson. I have met Fuzzy Haskins. I've met Calvin Simon. Um, I got to work with Ray Davis and Gary Brady Thompson before Ray passed when they came back to P-Funk. I know Bootsy, Maceo, Fred, Mugbone, Frankie, 
Peanut. That's the Bud Rubber Band people. Um, then for the the, the P Funk, the rest. Um, I said Gary Scheider, Boogie Moosong, Blackbird, Michael Hampton. Of course, you know Lies Mermaid. Um, Clip Pain. Mudbone Cooper is saying him again. Uh, oh my! Oh, uh, Greg Boyer, Greg Thomas, Benny Cowan, genius. Benny Cowan's a genius. Um, oh, the women, the women, the women I met before they passed, and and Belita was like my mother, my funk mother on the road because Belita and I were out there together. So Belita Woods. Malia Franklin. I performed in Malia Franklin's band for like a whole summer and fall. Okay, her her solo band. Yeah, and toured with her. It's awesome. Um, Dawn Silva is a, a big sister and a, a friend of mine to this day. Uh, um, I, I I have mentioned that. Um, uh, knew Sheila briefly. Um, the other ones I haven't met, let me see who I met Jessica Cleaves. And what other women? And then there's some wives, you know, that, that I know. So those are the people that I actually have got to meet or have relationships with. What what stood out to you is uh, George's unique something special. And as we uh, record this, it'll be a few weeks before it airs, but it is George Clinton's birthday today. George Clinton's so. birthday. Happy All birthday, George. Happy birthday, George. Uncle G. Bon anniversaire. Yeah, today's his birthday, for sure. So he's in uh, 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 Florida. What is that little town called? Tallahassee. Uh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's outside of, actually, he's outside of uh, uh, Tallahassee. Some little town even smaller. And, um, a beautiful uh, place he and his wife, I think they might have uh, one or two grandkids come through, you know, uh, her daughter uh, uh, there. But, um, yeah, he's there, posting everywhere, <laughs> and it's his birthday. How, how awesome is it that he's still doing what he does, you know? We should all hope that we all live that long and, and still able to do what we're doing, right? Yeah, yeah, and still, you know have that fire exactly you know that, that you know that's a definitely something that i really um learned from and i really admire from from uh, uncle george for sure is that that persevering fire that persevering longevity that, you know that is amazing that's amazing yeah, yeah. He, he'll roll with anything at any time well, you know, just like I said, to, 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 you know, to still be here vibrantly at that age. I mean, look how many people that we've lost that are much younger. Prince, my mentor, gone way too soon yeah. and way too tragically. So it's a, it's a blessing that he's still here and uh, still going and putting up pictures of himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you can see, but there's this stuff over there. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That looks like press room. Um, 
what do you remember your first time on stage playing with them and oh the yep. the, the the adrenaline i'm sure was going through your your body yeah this is um 93 this is before we do Lollapalooza in 94 and I'm already out in the band on the road as an assistant manager to Archie Ivy the head manager and Derek Drisdell who was the road manager I'm managing I'm paying people okay I'm doing money I'm doing flights I mean I'm plus I'm having to learn all this music that George and Gary and Boogie and them are throwing at me, right? So there's two things going on for me. About nine months into me being out there, all of a sudden, Ronnie Sternberg is here, takes the bass, go ahead, go out there, do red hat. said, all right, put it on, <laughs> strapped it up. I was like, come on, Kenny, talk to the tech. We're going to do this right now. Mind you, Gary Scheider, Mugbone Cooper, George Clinton, Peanut Johnson, they're all up, Flip Payne, they're all up front, you know, doing the show. They have no idea what's going on at the back line, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm ready. So Michael goes into, right? All of a sudden, I come in. And I'm fucking playing this shit. I'm like, all right, I'm in here. George turns around. Gary turns around. Clicked. They all turn around and go. <laughs> See that I'm holding it? See that I'm playing it and know it? And going to. Star Colors <laughs> on the and fucking tell it. Now I'm part of the show. Now George is coming back with the microphone and the bass amp. Right? Me and Michael up front now. Right? Now it's a whole I'm part of the show. Now I get to start ending the show. After that, the Red Eye Mom, we just go into the rest of the Funkadelic Rock catalog. Right? And it for maybe half an hour, 40 minutes sometimes, 45 minutes, me, Michael, who clip if Gary would be out there until he would leave, George would be gone. Be like, they got it. <laughs> we would just feed so that's that's in that happened I think in Tennessee. So the you, first time. And you hadn't rehearsed with them really? You just went on stage? You have to understand, I am already rehearsing on your own. On, on my own on the buses in my lessons with them, with mm -hmm. Boogie and Gary, backstage at the sound checks. You, you understand? Yeah. I'm all so it was just like, go, <laughs> okay? You ready or you're not? And so I was ready. So that's how it happened. Very, very, very scary. Not many people would would do that, and especially to have the leaders turn around on stage and go. Double take, yeah. You know, because nothing it wasn't planned. <laughs> you know, my coaches are standing on the sideline and, and, and your know, birds on stage and, and Gary gets up in front of me and you know, and it, it was it was a trip for sure, but once they saw like, oh yeah, she got it and she's one of us, it was on. It's like that was it. So yeah, very, very uh treacherous. <laughs> <laughs>
treacherous water. Sink or swim, man. Sink or swim. That's right. Uh, was Red Hot Mama your favorite track to play with them, or was there a different one that you liked the best? I, I it became uh, one of mine, obviously as a signature. Um, but I did have a, a few other ones that that you know I particularly you know like Alice and my fantasies and all, all Funkadelic, you know. Um, it's just some, just a few other ones, but Red Hot is so great because it universally captures people across genres. Like even your most staunch R and B person will kind of like get it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it'll satisfy your rock people and your people who are craving something. Else. So it's a good one that it 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 uh, encapsulates so many people. You know, within the simplicity of of, of the group. Absolutely, yeah. And, and and not and not so simple, actually. None of the songs are really that simple at all. <laughs> you know, that, uh, um, they're actually way more complicated than they sound. And that's where the learning and the schooling comes in with the material. Though, it, it a lot of uh, people think. Well, I'm a great musician. I play all this other stuff, but you can't play this stuff unless you're taught and learning, because it is uh, complicated and special that way. Also, the feel and attitude. I mean, oh yeah, God, yeah. and um, the empty spaces, just all of it. Yep. You know, yep. that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so what was your um, relationship or connection with Lige? What's the history there? Uh, that totally uh, came within the group. Literally, when I was hired, we became uh, friends and realized that um, I needed a producer and he uh, needed an artist who would let him become the producer that he is now. So that's how that uh, started. So did you learn anything bass-wise from him or vice versa? Or? I think I learned, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely learned something. Yeah, without question. Learned a lot from him. Learned a lot from Ski. Uh, learned from Boogie. Learned from Billy. You know? And Bootsville. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I would say, yeah, definitely, um, I got to really, you know, zone into things that uh, Lodge is doing live and in studio recordings, yeah, for sure. And so why did you end up, you know, going your own way and not continuing on with P-Funk? Well, <laughs> which I'm going to cover in a documentary uh, on the P-Funk ladies and the untold story of the ladies of the P-Funk, I will just say in short that it is a very much a male-dominated group, very misogynistic, and not pro-female anything at all. So what I did in there will never ever be done again, even if the group lived to be a thousand years old, because it's not that kind of group. And you would have to be a uh, a warrior Amazon like me to break through, period. Uh, all the female singers 
all the videos that I named you earlier and some of the ones that I haven't all gave their lives, their blood, their talent, their beauty, and were summarily dulled, dismissed, and disrespected. So it's not an organization for women that way. Women in this group are used as background singers and background. I, what I did was unheard of and, and, and didn't last because it, it, either you were going to break through do what I want or I had to get out and do my own thing, which is what I did because I'm a leader. I'm a songwriter and a band leader, and I wasn't going to be summarily dismissed like a background singer. I'll fight you. So that's what I had. We, we, we saw some of that in that documentary, Tear the Roof Off. I don't know if you saw that. Um, came yeah. out last year. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I guess that yeah. touched on some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, well, that's unfortunate, to say the least. But uh, That's what it is. That's what it is. Were you um, surprised or what did you think when Prince eventually ended up having some female bass players? You know, Rhonda Smith came on. And, you know, they were very different from your style. Um, but then Eden uh, you know, Nielsen. And... I love Rhonda. She's a great jazz player uh, and a great side jazz player. She's uh, awesome. Um, I knew that he finally um, trusted enough to allow a female to play. See, once I told him, no, I, w I was an artist. I'm an artist, just like him. So he knew. You can't have another artist. You gotta have somebody who's gonna be a side girl, a background girl, a side girl. So that's when Rhonda came in and it was perfect. And uh, even that last one. But, um, you know, um, she's, come on, Jeff Beck is lucky. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's lucky, 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 lucky. You better hold on to it. You know what I mean? So I was glad. I was, I was, I was glad to see that the seed I planted as a kid blossomed into that. Yeah, you're ahead of your time, right? And literally a child breaking through, <laughs> you know, just like, you know, like I said, I, I wasn't, I couldn't even drink yet. I wasn't even legal. So that's how young. So, you know, you just, at that point, when you're doing stuff like that, you're just going on that crazy adrenaline and drive that's in you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. When you think like, back later like what seeing her later definitely I was glad that I was crazy enough to do what I did because I know it completely paved the way for her to come through that you know later and so that was cool for sure definitely um, all credit to you star you um, did appear on some uh, p-funk records right yes so I have uh, a few, few here um, that okay. I saw on your credits hopefully they're right okay. um let's see if they are i'm going to change cameras here so we can see them um that one. Oh yeah oh andre fox oh my god <laughs> wow he was just on on the show it hasn't aired yet but yeah he, he did the show great. recently so great great man dre is um a gifted artistic brother. I was so glad that he decided to go ahead and launch himself. You know, he was way too much of a character to be 
you know, trying to be part of a line. It's like, man, you need to go and be you. So, yeah, I was glad to, you know, help him any kind of way. Do you remember how many tracks you're on or what track or? I don't, I don't know what he included. I remember I remember doing those sessions too, but I, I don't know what he included or what, what made editing for, you know. Right. What about, um, I saw this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of my favorites. That's yeah, one of my favorites one. because that that is, that's when, you know, that's when you went back to the, I'm gonna be a, a, a spoke, spoken word poet, but I'm gonna have this new. Under, we love that stuff. Love that. I, I would like to see it. Like to see the man go back to doing some of that stuff. Yeah, that was definitely probably possibly the most funkadelic-y uh, right. release they did that decade. So exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, well, this one isn't um, P Funk, but it was uh, with. Oh yeah, right, right. Get a better look at that one. Yeah, definitely. I'm, 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 Elijah's... I'm on. Yeah, I'm on a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And uh, and one of the main ones that my name isn't credited on that I'm singing all over is the Tapolophone record. Oh yeah. I'm all over that, and the reason my name isn't in the credits is because I was being pursued by Sony 550 at the same time, and George assigned to Sony 550 at that time, and some nonsense with their A&R people in him, and my name did not get put on that album, and I was paying checks from the company for singing on that album. I'm on at least five or six songs on that album. That album, to me, is, I think, the most Parliament-like album since, like, the glory days. I mean, that's a great record. 